You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. The 18th century French philosopher Voltaire once claimed that the Bible would be obsolete within a hundred years of his death. That was his claim. He believed that humanity had progressed so much that we would no longer need the Bible. Well, I am excited to let you know that more than 250 years later, uh, the Bible is still as relevant as ever and is still quite influential. Uh, Voltaire was wrong. Now, some irony, uh, within 100 years after his death, his property, his estate in Paris, was sold at auction, and it was purchased by the French Bible Society, and they actually used his property to be their Bible-printing headquarters in Paris. From his estate, thousands of Bibles would be printed and distributed. Why was Voltaire wrong? Well, it's, it's really quite simple. It's because the Bible is no ordinary book. It is unique in many ways, and therefore it will always be relevant, and God will continue to use this book as the means of introducing himself to peoples around the world. Last week, we looked at the first half of 2 Timothy chapter 3, and this is where Paul is reminding Timothy about the fact that there are people in our midst that are looking to do evil things. There are people that teach flawed doctrine, they pervert the truth, they cause harm to people. And this is where we pick up this week in verse 10, the Apostle Paul begins to contrast Timothy with those in his region that are corrupt, evil persons. He says in verse 10, you, however, speaking of Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, there are other men that are corrupt, but but you certainly know the things that I taught. You're different because you know what I taught. Therefore, I know that you're going to be different than those guys. You saw me suffer, Timothy. You watched the persecutions I endured, and you saw the gospel at work in my life, Timothy. You saw that. Paul then continues to Timothy, and he says, he says that anyone who really wants to live godly is going to face persecutions. That's what he says. Look at verse 12 and 13 with me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So if you want to be godly, you're guaranteed to face some persecutions. Thanks, Paul. That's encouraging. Now, for those of us living in our modern context in the 21st century in the United States, we know that the persecutions that we face, quite frankly, are relatively mild compared to what many believers around the world are facing today. All all across the globe, there are lots of our brothers and sisters in the faith that are facing persecutions way worse than what we face here in the United States. I'm, I'm not saying we ought to feel guilty for the religious liberties we enjoy in our nation, 
But it's important to take note of the fact that this is unique in a lot of ways. This doesn't negate the seriousness of some of the persecutions that we do face. Certainly, I'm not saying that. There are some very real variations of persecutions that we face here in the United States. And, and I could guess that there is a potential that that could grow in intensity in the decades to come. I just think it's important to remember that what we face is mild. I was in India several years ago. I've had the chance to be there several times. And I was with a group of pastors, about 50 pastors. And as I was having conversations with them, nearly all of them had been imprisoned or severely beaten for the gospel at some point in their life. And I was having a conversation with one of the men, Pastor V was his name, and uh, I asked him, Pastor V, how do, you, how do you keep going? And he said to me, he said, Brother Kenny, we read the Bible and God gives strength. We read the Bible and God gives strength. The sentiment that Pastor V was asserting that morning is, is similar to the a sentiment that we get from the Apostle Paul here in this morning's passage. Let's continue. Look at verse 14 with me. Paul says this to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is, in essence, saying to Timothy, Timothy, I know that there's craziness all around you. I know that there are evil people and imposters. There are detrimental theologies being propagated. Yes, but you, Timothy, stick with it. You stay firm. You stick with the truth. Paul's exhortation to Timothy is quite simple. And then he gives Timothy instructions on how to actually live that out. How do you stick with it? How do you remain firm? How do you spiritually thrive in the face of persecutions? And Paul's words are quite simple. He reminds Timothy that he is acquainted with the sacred writings. The sacred writings. Paul says, Timothy, remember, you were acquainted with the sacred writings. He says, Timothy, remember from the time you were a kid, you were acquainted with those sacred writings. And he says they are able to make you wise for salvation. Not just generically wise, but wise unto salvation. They point you to Jesus. If you remember back in chapter 1 that we covered several weeks ago, the Apostle Paul was reminding Timothy of the faith that he had, uh, that he had, been gro- he had grown up in because of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And they had apparently raised Timothy to have faith in God. They had introduced Timothy to the sacred writings. Paul is now drawing on this and reminding Timothy. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of craziness, in the midst of difficulty, remember what you learned in those sacred writings. Don't forget. Timothy would have been familiar with Genesis chapter 1 when God spoke everything into creation. Timothy definitely would have been familiar with the account of the flood, which demonstrates God's judgment and God's mercy. Timothy Timothy would have been familiar with Joseph and how Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And yet God uses Joseph's suffering, turns his incredible pain into great purpose. 
Timothy would have been aware of how God's people suffered for 400 years under Egyptian tyranny, and yet God rescues them. Timothy would have been aware of Moses' inadequacies and how Moses fled, and yet God redeems him, brings him back to Egypt, and mightily uses him to rescue God's people. Timothy would have been well acquainted with the sacred writings that speak about God's faithfulness to Gideon and many others during the era of the judges. Timothy would have been familiar with King David, his sins, his failures, his deficiencies, and would have observed how God redeemed David. Timothy would have been aware of how God's people, the nation of Israel, had failed over and over and over again, generation after generation, not being faithful to God, and yet God remained faithful to them. Timothy would have been aware of this. Timothy would have been well acquainted with the fact that God was faithful to Esther and Daniel in exile, that God rescued Meshach, Shidrach, and Abednego from the fire, and that God was faithful to Nehemiah and Ezra as they returned back to the promised land. Timothy would have known all of these things, and he would have known that the God I serve is faithful, even in the midst of chaos. Even when I face persecutions, even when evil people are seemingly prospering, God is faithful. Timothy would have been aware of that because he would have been acquainted with the sacred writings. City's Church, Paul's exhortation to Timothy certainly applies to us today. Where, when it seems like all has gone crazy, when it seems like evil people and imposters are all around, when we face, face persecutions and sufferings, do not forget the things you've learned about God from his sacred writings. I love the sacred writings. I, I love the Bible. I, I, my prayer is that we would love the Bible. Two quick side notes uh, about the Bible. First, it's important to know that in this context, when Paul is talking to Timothy, he is referring to the Old Testament. Right? Timothy was well acquainted with the Old Testament sacred writings. The New Testament had not yet been written when Timothy was being raised and being acquainted with those writings. However, in our modern context, it is fair and appropriate to take the New Testament and put it on par with the Old Testament. I want to give you eight quick reasons why we can be confident that while Paul was immediately talking about the Old Testament, that anything he says also applies to the New Testament. Uh, first, in Matthew 24, Jesus says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The words of Jesus are eternal. In John chapter 6, Jesus gives this, this very hard teaching, and he says to his disciples, Do you guys want to leave me? And Peter replies, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So the first reason we know is because the words and teachings of Jesus in the New Testament are eternal. Number two, on the night of his betrayal, Jesus, speaking to his disciples in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, he says, he alludes to the fact that there are going to be more teachings, that, that the Holy Spirit was going to come on them and give them teachings that they would write down for the formation of the early church. Number three, Jesus told us that his words were on par with Scripture. In John 14, and that his words are true because they're given to us by the Father, given to him by the Father. He says that in John 16 and John 17. The fourth reason we know this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul says, I gave you the word of God, not merely human words. Paul was asserting his words were from God. Number five, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul claims that his words were from God. 
Later in the same book, in chapter 14, Paul asserts that his teachings are the commandments of the Lord. Seventh reason, in 2 Peter chapter 3, the apostle Peter claims that there are people out there twisting the scriptures, excuse me, uh, twisting Paul's letters just as they do, and Peter says, the other scriptures. It's clear that Peter believes Paul's letters are scripture. And then the eighth reason that we know for sure, there are, there are many other reasons, but eight of the reasons that we know that the Bible, the New Testament, is on par with the Old Testament is because the earliest Christians believed they were sacred. They were handed down from the apostles, and they read them in church, they preached for them, and they, taught, they preached from them and taught them as if they were sacred scripture. So for those eight reasons, again, there are other reasons as well, but for those eight reasons, it is fair and right to assume that whatever the Apostle Paul says here in this passage about the Old Testament also applies to the New Testament. That's my first side note. Second side note is this. There are common attacks in our day on the Bible. People say things like, well, the Bible's been changed a bunch throughout the centuries. And we don't actually know what the original authors wrote. If you are here this morning or watching online and you would say to yourself, I'm not 100% sure I'm confident in the Bible, I'd love to say, I'd love to talk to you. If you're here, feel free to come on up, have a conversation. Uh, If you're watching online, feel free to shoot an email to to our team. Um, Also, this week, uh, God willing, when we post this sermon online, my intention is to have some additional resources. A couple books will have some additional resources. So if you are someone that's not sure about the authenticity of the Bible, I would highly encourage you Visit our website this week, uh, look under the sermon section, look at the additional resources at the bottom of the manuscript. They'll be there, or feel free to come up after the service. One of the primary resources I would commend is a really short book. It's called Why Trust the Bible. It's by a pastor from Kentucky named Greg Gilbert, and uh, it's just a really simple, easy read. Uh, I'll list that along with others. But what we realize when we examine the evidence, when we really look at all of the scholarly uh, discoveries and archaeological evidence from the last several centuries, it becomes very clear to us overwhelmingly that the Bible has not been maligned throughout the centuries. The Bible has not been changed. With all due respect to the persons in our society that are saying that, quite frankly, they just are unaware of the evidence. They're simply ignorant of what has actually been established and documented. And so if you're here and you're not sure if you can trust the veracity or authenticity of the Bible, I want to tell you, yes, you can trust the Bible. And again, feel free to check out some of those resources that we list or come up after the service. So. All right, let's get back to the text. just wanted to give you those two side notes. Look at the last few words of this passage. The Apostle Paul says some powerful things about Scripture. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me. Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. These words, Paul says, they are breathed out from God. The modern word we we frequently use is inspired by God. This book is not simply an ordinary book. This book is not merely good advice from Paul or from other biblical authors. This book is not merely a historical record of how God revealed himself to other people in previous generations in the world of antiquity. 
It's more than that. Yes, it is a record, but it's more than just a record. This book doesn't record merely how God revealed himself in the past. This book is a revelation of God to us today. This book is unique. This book contains the sovereign exhalings of a holy God. The sovereign exhalings of the creator of the universe. These words are breathed out by God himself. The apostle Peter says this in 2 Peter, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Paul assures us that the scripture is breathed out from God, and then he says it's also profitable. The Bible is profitable. And then he gives the specific ways in which the Bible is profitable. He says it is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. For teaching, for reproof or rebuking, for correction, and for training people on how to live righteously. Eugene Peterson, well-known pastor, theologian, author of the Message Bible, he paraphrases verses 16 and 17 in this way. This is his paraphrase of it. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful in one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. The scriptures are powerful. They shape us and they put us together so that we can be prepared for all that which God has for us. The psalmist says this in Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The prophet Isaiah says this, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And Jesus says this in John 10, scripture cannot be broken. In in this passage, Paul is exhorting Timothy to rely on the Bible. Paul is in essence saying, hey, Timothy, if there's people in your church that need to be taught, use the Bible. If there's people in your congregation with flawed theology or detrimental ideologies, or if there's people with unrepentant sin, use the sacred scriptures to admonish them. Hey, Timothy, there's people in your church that are afraid or nervous or feeling insecure. Encourage them with the sacred writings. Paul's saying, Timothy, if there's people in your church that need to be corrected, do so boldly, clearly, Don't be passive-aggressive. Be assertive and use the Bible when you do it. Paul is exhorting Timothy to cling to the Bible and to admonish his church to cling to the Bible. That's what I long for myself. I want to be someone who clings to the Bible. That's what I want our congregation to be, a group of people that cling to the Bible. I've, I've heard Pastor David Mathis say this several times in the years I've known him. We want to be people of the book. Let's be people of the book. That's what Paul is challenging Timothy here to be. 
This is not the first time Paul has said this to Timothy. In fact, in his first letter, he tells Timothy, hey, make sure that your church devotes themselves to the public reading of Scripture, he says in 1 Timothy 4. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. He says to the Colossian church, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Cities Church, let's be people of the book. Let's spend time in the Bible. I was recently having a lunch with a friend of mine, and at the beginning of the conversation, he began to tell me how he, he had just binge-watched a bunch of seasons of Parks and Rec over the course of several days. He had watched like four seasons of Parks and Rec in like a week on Netflix. And we laughed about that conversation continued and about 30 35 minutes later uh we the conversation was a little more serious and he was sharing kind of pouring out his heart about some things going on in his life and sharing about some of the struggles he had been having and I asked him very pointedly hey have you have you carved out time for prayer and scripture in your life are you allowing the scriptures to speak to you in this area of your life and he said to me "Ah, man I'd love to I just man he's been really busy recently I haven't had time I looked at him with a gentle voice, I said, so you've been prioritizing time with Ron Swanson and Leslie Nope, but you haven't prioritized time with the almighty creator of the universe? So I, I know that many of us are legitimately busy in life. Yes, many of us have lots of things on our plate. Yes, that is true. But if we really believe that this book is the inspired word of God, if we really believe that God has revealed himself in these pages, that this book contains the the divine, sovereign exhalings of our God, if we really believe that, then we must devote ourselves to it. We must be ruthless with our calendars and get rid of anything that gets in the way. Honestly, City's Church, we have no excuse to not carve out time for the Bible. If you read the Bible at average speed, if you read the Bible at whatever the typical American reads, American person reads, and you read the Bible for 12 minutes a day, 12 minutes, you'll read the entire Bible in a year. 12 minutes a day. Certainly all of us can carve out at least 12 minutes, if not more. And we have so many resources today in our modern context that the vast majority of Christians throughout church history have never had. In fact, even the idea of having a Bible in your own home is a relatively recent phenomenon. Just in the last about 125 years or so, the majority of Christians throughout the ages have not have, had not had access to the scriptures the way we do. On my iPhone right now, I have 61 English translations of the Bible. 61, and I have 178 translations in 65 other languages as well. I don't speak any of those languages. I don't know why I have them on my iPhone, but I do. Not to mention thousands of commentaries, resources, articles, podcasts. And there are tons of apps. Dwell, YouVersion, Daily Audio Bible, iDisciple, She Reads Truth, Got Questions, and of course for us seminary nerds, Logos. Oh yeah, I forgot, I forgot one. You may, you may have heard of it, YouTube. You might have heard that one. Friends, we have no excuse to not be people of the book. Zero excuse. Zero excuse. Um, I don't know this, I don't know if you need to know this, but uh, many of you probably already know, we actually have a women's blog here at City's Church 
And so uh, it's contributed to a lot of the women in our congregation will regularly contribute. So I want to highly encourage the women here, the ladies in the room watching, uh, to check out the women's blog on our website. This week's article, the article that we planned, that we hope to, to post, God willing, later this week on Wednesday, is by Linda Linder. She's one of our covenant members here at Cities Church. I want to give you a sneak peek from Linda's blog post this week. Here's what Linda says. The title of the blog is, Why I Read the Bible and Want You to Read It Too. Here's what she says. Our God is a God of words. He always has been, always will be. God created the universe by speaking words. At every stage of creation, it is introduced with the words, and God said. And today, today we have the written word of God, the Bible. The Bible gives us wisdom when we don't know what to do. It furnishes light when we are in darkness. It penetrates your heart and can change your thoughts and attitudes. The creator of the universe wants to speak to you. His word is true, and his word is life-changing. Cities Church, Linda Linder is right. The word of God is true and life-changing. Let's get acquainted with it. Let's be acquainted with the sacred writings. Last thought for this morning. I've asked myself this question a few times in my life. What does the existence of the Bible tell us about God? The fact that this thing even exists, this incredible book, the fact that God gave us this, what does that, what does that tell us about God himself? I think it tells us a lot of things about the character and nature of God, but primarily the fact that the sacred writings exist tells us that God wants to be known and that he's knowable. You can know God, and he wants you to know him. He gave you the mechanism to know him. God is knowable. The God of the universe invites you to commune with him, to hang out with him, and to get to know him. The existence of the Bible tells us that intimacy with the Almighty is possible. Even though we are sinners, God invites us to know him. Even though we deserve the full wrath of God, God beckons us and ushers us into intimacy with himself. God was under no obligation to save us. God created us. We betrayed him. We sinned. We deserved his wrath. God could have condemned all of us forever and that would have been righteous and just. God would not have been wrong to condemn all of us forever. But God, being rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love, overflowing with love for you, he intervenes in the human story. He makes a way for us to be saved. God becomes a man. He lives a perfect life. He dies the death that you and I should have died. And he makes a way for us to be saved. If we acknowledge that we cannot save ourselves, if we acknowledge our sins before him, if we humbly seek the mercy of God and we ask him to save us, he promises to forgive our sins and to adopt us into his own family. He becomes our daddy. The God of the universe, the almighty creator of everything says, you're my child. You don't deserve it. You deserve something quite different. I love you. You're my child. 
How do we know this? How do we know that God does this? Because he explains it here in this book. He reveals himself to us in these sacred writings. And not only does he save us, rescue us, redeem us, invite us into his own family, he then gives us this Bible so that we can know him, so that we can be equipped to live this life, so that we can have intimacy with him. He gave us this book so that we can know him, so that we can be equipped, so that we can be intimate with him. Don't pass up the opportunity to be intimate with the Almighty. The very existence of the Bible shouts to us the kindness of our God. Church, let's be people of the book. Let's be committed to being people of his book. Would you pray with me? God, forgive us for our laziness and apathy so frequently. Forgive me for not carving out time with you. Forgive us for the times that we have spent hours on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and yet neglected time with you. Oh God, forgive us. God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the sacred writings. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in these writings. Thank you for your kindness. Oh God, help us see our own sin, to see the things that get in the way of our time with you. Give us the audacity and the courage to say no to things. Give us the courage and audacity and the discipline to be ruthless with our calendars to ensure time with your sacred writings so that we can be intimate with you. God, usher us into intimacy with yourself. Help us humbly repent. Draw us closer to yourself by your spirit, I pray. Oh God, help us be people of the book of the book, of the book, of the book.